the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. I wanted to tell you that I am excited and really anxious to get into the what we have to look at tonight in uh, First Timothy. And I was thinking through earlier all of the books that God has walked us through and how he has taught us and brought us along and how good a father he is to teach, to nurture his children. You know, God cares about what you understand about him. God cares about how you see him. It's important that you know that you're loved. It's important that you know that he is concerned about every detail of your life, that he's not a distant God, that he is a God that embraces you in every moment, that prepares every step that you take for your good. He is the good father, the good shepherd. Last week, we began our journey through 1 Timothy, and we looked at the first two verses, and today we're going to cover a whole lot more territory. We're going to endeavor to explore verses 3 through 11. And I will begin today with an introduction into the epistles I did last week in order for us to maintain the proper context. The one thing I want you to keep in mind, I said this last time, as we look through these letters of Paul and we see what he is addressing, I want you to see this as the Spirit of God who's addressing the problems. But as I'm going to make you aware of here in a minute, the timing of this was critical. What Paul was doing was critical. And what we have to ask ourselves as we look at these churches and have looked at these churches is what took a vibrant, healthy church and caused them to forsake the way of truth, caused them to set aside the pursuit of holiness, the passion of his love. What caused them to become lethargic and disinterested and distracted? Because it's the same thing that moves you away. So as we look at that, keep that in mind, because the issue here is God's desire for your maturity. God's desire to bring you forward in truth. And maturity is a lot like obedience in the church. People hear that word and they begin to say, oh no, here we go. Pack my bags for a guilt trip. No, not at all. Maturity is a word that literally means blessing to us. It means nurture to us. It means healing for us. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at in the Ephesian church. As I mentioned last week, in nearly every letter we have of Paul, we have a similar scenario. Paul is writing to a church that has been victimized by false teachers and false apostles. And it was very important that these issues be dealt with. It was important for them to stop the distortion of truth that was being taught by these guys. It's also important to remember that this is the birthing of the church. This is the beginning, the church of Christ. Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and Pentecost had had occurred only 30 years prior to this letter. The new covenant had just been introduced and thereby launching the foundation of the church. We must keep in mind that these fledgling Christians did not have the New Testament. There was really only the Old Testament, which was the prized possession of the Jewish community and not readily available. However... God did not leave them without. These are his children, born unto him through the obedience of Christ. They have been birthed into a spiritual people who have been created complete in every blessing that the Father has bestowed on the Son. It is foremost in the Father's heart that his children begin to grow and mature in the truth, that they may know the abundance that they have been born into. It is essential that they embrace and live to the fullest degree in the truth of their new creation and in the intimate love relationship he created them to share with himself. So it was with this plan of God to bring them and to teach them truth through his spirit that he began teaching through his apostles. To teach them truth through his spirit by sharing his heart through the word and through his life within them. He began by giving the child of God his spirit, which is his life. And now he brings his word through his apostle. The word in combination with the revelation of his spirit within would be their nurture to expand them in all that he had created them to be. At the birth of the new church, he called them to feed continuously on his word. We read of the early church in Acts, the second chapter, it says, verse 41 through 43, So then those who accepted his message were baptized, and on that day about 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to the fellowship, to eating meals together and to prayer. The word was taught to them through the apostles. They devoted themselves to the things of God and the people of God. And I don't believe they were there looking to know more about Jesus or their new religion. They were there to grow in an intimate knowledge of their God, driven by their great love and passion for their God. You know, Todd mentioned earlier some of the uh, parallels in having a new child and... uh, I have some understanding of the birth and development of an infant, albeit limited. And it is, I know this, it is critical for the infant to receive the nurture of its mother soon after birth because the infant is protected by the immunity of the mother. We are protected by the nurture of the word. It secures us in truth. It doesn't create truth. It affirms the truth within us. The point is that because the canon of Scripture was not yet in printed form that could be possessed by all, they were receiving the truth through the apostles. And what was being known about the new covenant was largely being articulated by Paul himself. That's how they learned. 
And that is why you often wonder, as you read the letters of Paul, why in the world, everywhere Paul goes, these guys show up. I mean, don't they have a life? Don't they have something better to do? Why are they following Paul around? Well, these guys were the emissaries of Satan. Because the enemy knows that the only way, he cannot change your salvation, but the only way he can rob you of all that God gave you through his son is by changing your relationship with him, by distorting your understanding of who he is, by literally corrupting and co-opting the new covenant that has given us the freedom to embrace all that Christ has given us through his life. It was so vital to the enemy to distort and destroy the start of the new covenant in the newly formed church that he went all out. And it was equally important to our God to make sure that he was not successful. Paul was, this is why Paul was so insistent. It's why he was so relentless. This is why he didn't give up on the wayward people when they rejected truth. The word of God, from Paul's point of view, would not be made void by these false teachers. As we mentioned last week, there are three Paulian letters that are considered pastoral epistles. The first, uh, there are the first and second letters to Timothy, and then the letter to Titus. And they are considered pastoral epistles by theologians, because Paul is writing to young legates who have been sent to the churches that have been infiltrated by false teachers with the authority of Paul, the apostle, to deal with these false teachers. And Paul empowers these representatives with authority to cast out the false teachers and to establish order and bring the people back to truth. So the two essential points that you're going to hear, whether you hear them directly, you will hear them articulated through the entirety of these books The two essential points are going to be true doctrine and holy living. True doctrine and holy living. And the thing you need to understand is one doesn't exist without the other. Now, Paul had just been released from his Roman imprisonment, actually his first Roman imprisonment, and he decided to go back to each of the churches where he had ministered, check on them and encourage them in truth. And can you understand why? Because he was well aware of the enemy's plan. He wanted to go back and re-secure and exhort and teach and preach the truth back to these people who had been so distracted and led astray. And Paul had arrived in Ephesus by a ship from Colossae, and Timothy met him there, having just returned from Philippi. And prior to this second visit, Paul had been there, and he had taught these people, had discipled them for three years. He had ministered among them. And right before he leaves, this is on his first visit, He calls the elders of the church of Ephesus together, just as he was about to leave for Jerusalem. And he told them this, which is written in Acts 20, verses 29 through 32. He says, I know that after I am gone, false teachers like ferocious wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse and distorted things to draw away the disciples after themselves as their followers. Therefore, be continually alert, remembering that for three years, night or day, I did not stop admonishing and advising each one of you with tears. Now, verse 32, and this is very important. He says, and now I commend you to God, placing you in his protective loving care. And I commend you to the word of his grace. 
the counsel and promises of his unmerited favor. His grace is able to build you up and to give you the rightful inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That is among those who are set apart for God's purposes. All believers. You say, well, why is that important? The Greek word that he uses there for word is logos. And he is referring to the scripture, the written word of God. That's what he has written. Not necessarily the written. What he spoke was the word of God. He's telling them that their best protection against these wolves will be to continue to grow in what he taught them. That is the word. This word will affirm who you are and the inheritance that is yours in Christ. So when Paul arrives at the church in Ephesus, he is immediately grieved. He recognizes the work of the enemy. He sees how far these false teachers have infiltrated and what kind of distortion they've spread. So he immediately goes to work, and in in verse 20 of this same chapter, he casts out what we believe to be two of the elders. He casts them out of the church. And then with that, he feels the urgency to move on to Macedonia. Now, if you Keep in mind the amount of corruption that had taken place in the church at Ephesus and what he faced at each one of his churches. You can see Paul is anxious to get on and deal with what may be awaiting him in the other churches that he either discipled or began. So he immediately turns to Timothy and he says, I am really pleading with you here. Please stay. Please stay. Stay and continue the work. Stay and continue to teach them and disciple them, restoring them to truth and casting out these false teachers. So Timothy, under his authority, began the restoration of these believers to truth. And Paul hadn't been gone very long when he wrote the letter of 1 Timothy. Now, that is because, first and foremost, because the Spirit of God urged him to, but secondly, he knew what kind of mess he'd left Timothy in. I also want you to recognize, God doesn't leave us. He didn't take off when Paul took off. And he's giving Timothy encouragement through Paul. This is the Spirit of God encouraging Timothy, giving him strength. To encourage means to literally give courage to. And that's what Timothy needed. So let's look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4. He writes, As I urged you when I was on my way to Macedonia to stay on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain individuals not to teach any different doctrines, nor to pay attention to legends, fables, myths, and endless genealogies, which give rise to useless speculation and meaningless arguments rather than advancing God's program of instruction, which is grounded in faith and requires the surrendering of the entire self to God in absolute trust and confidence. Notice also that God has a program of instruction. He wants to bring you along. Now, that's not any less than a good parent would do. He wants to bring us along. Now, the opening charge is teach no other doctrine. No other doctrine than the doctrine that Paul gave them, right? Because they don't have the New Testament. Do not teach a doctrine that places emphasis on legends, fables, myths, and endless genealogies, which gives rise to useless speculation and meaningless arguments. Only teach that which is by faith. And Paul's instructing Timothy to command these people to put an end to this distorted teaching. Stop it! That's what he's saying. In the Greek, the word 
interpreted by the Amplified as instruct is actually a military command. It's commanded with military authority. It's not a suggestion. It's do it and do it now. It demands action. And he tells them to give no attention. Or in the original, it means do not turn your minds toward. Do not contemplate. Do not even allow your mind to explore such things. Do not mentally entertain novel teaching. That is, new enlightened teaching of doctrines or myths and the adding of pagan and Judaistic myths and legends. And he also mentions genealogies. In other words, you know, we have such pride and arrogance as individuals that we will often see ourselves as being able to guard ourselves intellectually. We'll just say no. But the reality of it is that we're not guarded by our decision not to. We're guarded by faith that says, I will keep my eyes upon you. I will trust in the Lord who guards me. I will stand in what I know of him. That's how we're guarded. We're guarded by faith, not by our ability to discern what is right and wrong. Because it isn't going to work. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day that had a near accident. And they were a little bit nervous about it. And I said to him this. They were saying, you know, I tried, I looked, I did all of these things, but yet I still almost had an accident. I said, don't believe for a second that it is your caution that guards you. Now, this is the truth of it. It's not our caution that guards you. Now, mind you, it helps, doesn't it? God gave you a mind, use it, all right? But the reality of it is that God is the one who guards us. God is the one who keeps us. We don't need to walk around in the arrogance that says, I know right from wrong, so therefore I will pursue right and reject wrong. I'm telling you that the enemy is far smarter than you think you are. So put your faith and trust in the God who keeps you, not in your understanding. Lean not to your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him. So this issue of, he mentions genealogies, it was common among Jewish scholars and teachers of Scripture, look to find some significance in the names of the genealogies in the Old Testament books. I often wondered why they were there. They would seek to construct out, out of their imagination some historical act of bravery or miraculous event and then put together an entire biography about some heretofore unknown name that they had found. And typically, this was done out of either the book of Genesis or the book of Chronicles. It was a preoccupation of the rabbinic teachers. And I think Paul, because he had been a Pharisee, had some familiarity with this. And what they were ministering was distracting controversies and speculations that only led away from the truth into a deeper confusion. It was completely dismissive of faith and the truth of the gospel. So... This is something that I want you to understand. There's only one gospel, but there are a lot of distortions. There's only one truth, but there's, there are a lot of deceptions. There are only two ways to live as a Christian, and we've talked about this. That is by the Spirit. That's how a Christian should live. Now, that's normal for us to walk by the Spirit. Or we can live after the flesh, which is really a living death, isn't it? It's about my life is this body. My life is the way I look. My life is what I'm going to do with this body. My life is when I get married. My life is when I get an education. My life is when I make more money. My life begins then. 
You see, we relegate life to the temporal things, and that is living according to the flesh. That's not the way God made us to live, living to the flesh or living to the spirit. There are only two ways to believe. One is by faith, which is how the Christian is to live in truth, or by man-centered doctrine. You say, wow, that kind of dumps a lot of things in one bucket, doesn't it? Well, absolutely it does. It encompasses all religions because religion is man's path to knowing about and understanding God. It's also about serving God according to the flesh, what man can accomplish for God. Now, I've gone through this with you before. I'm going to go through it with you again. I'll explain it in a minute. Man-centered doctrine makes doctrine about all about the flesh. It may present itself as Christian It may encourage prayer, scripture reading, praise, evangelism, and programs, but it will center on what we do for God. Man is always the initiator, and God is always the responder. Peace is what we feel in the flesh. Prosperity is worldly. Blessing is what God has done to prosper us in our flesh. And faith is allocated to the things that we need God for. Faith becomes an economy whereby we can manipulate God. There's very little interest in knowing God in an intimate relationship. Rather, we satisfy ourselves with what we know about God. We get our theology from memes and sound bites. Praise and worship is more about stimulating emotion than about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Grace and spiritual liberty are interpreted as license for self-indulgence. This is knowing God according to the flesh. It is a corruption of truth, and it has churches full of people who live in a state of confirmed infancy. It is an apostasy that does not move the people of God towards truth. Many say the church is in decline. They're typically referencing attendance. The issue is that the immature have lost interest and are preoccupied with self-indulgence. The church is not diminishing or dying. It is the body of Christ. The church is being sifted. That's the truth of where we're at. You might ask, Pastor, you've said all this before. Why go there again? Because this is the principal issue of the modern church. And in part, it is why the church at Ephesus was vulnerable to heresy. They had abandoned faith. They distracted themselves with the teaching of these men, and they did not cling to the truth, the very thing that Paul warned them about. And Paul doesn't give us a clear understanding as to what these heretical teachings were, but if it were important for us to know, I'm sure they would have explained, he would have explained it. What we know is that it was a satanic attack on the truth that was embraced by Christians. Let's look at verse 5. Paul makes it very concise here. He says, but the goal of our instruction, of all that I taught you, there's a goal. And the goal of that instruction is love, which springs from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Well, listen, that's not a Hallmark card. He's making a very profound statement there. But the goal of our instruction, okay, here it is. This is how you live. This is the goal. The goal is love. And what does that mean? What are we talking about? Something that we're to feel or generate in our emotions? No. The word for love there is agape. It is agape love. It can never has its source in the flesh. It must flow from God, who First John tells us is love. 
self-denying, self-sacrificing, unconditional, supernatural love that flows from who God is. That is what that love is. Love is the source and the motive for the activity of God. Everything that God does has its context in love. And God does a lot. So do you believe for one second that Paul is just talking about having warm and fuzzies about your brethren? Not at all. He's saying in the same way that the Father does all things, that every bit of his activity is in the context of who he is, love, you too should live the same way. It is the source, it is the goal of all that I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you to live the way the Father has made you. I'm teaching you to live out of the truth of how God created you to live. The goal of our instruction is love which springs from a pure heart. Well, what about a pure heart? Where does that spring from? Where, where do we get a pure heart? Well, that's not something we create within. It's not a goal for the Christian. It's standard equipment for the new creation. It comes with your salvation. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. Articulating the new covenant, what God is going to do for us as his new creation beings. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is tender to my touch. That's what he's talking about. God has created in you a pure heart that was made to be both the receptacle and the dispenser of his love. You are made for his love and it is through the outflowing of his love that you are affirmed in truth. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, Visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.